Previously on For Such a Time as This, an orphaned girl is adopted by her uncle. Then the king takes her as his own possession, and she becomes his queen. The uncle is praying around the castle walls, and he eventually gets a gig sitting in the king's gate. Next, a sinister character is going to be introduced. Tune in for Chapter 3. Hello, I am so happy that you can join me once again in Esther for such a time as this. I continue to be fascinated with how this book of Esther is truly a picture of our current American culture. I mean, there is a lot going on in the news out there today. And while I, like many of you, have strong opinions about this election cycle, it's not my goal to take sides. But as I compare this chapter to things going on today, I can't help but get a little bit political, I guess, and relate it to what's going on. I do pray and I trust that you will hold firmly to what the Lord tells you. Let him whisper to you in your personal times with him. Well, on our last episode, a coup was planned against the king. But Mordecai blew the whistle, foiled the plot, saved the king. Well, he received no prizes and no accolades. But instead, he settles back into his role as a keeper at the king's gate. But soon, he's to learn of another plot. This one is not against the king, but against himself. Mordecai's own people. Well, let's turn in our Bibles to Esther chapter 3, verse 1. After these things did King Ahasuerus promote Haman, the son of Hamadatha the Agagite, and advanced him and set his seat above all the princes that were with him. Okay, hold on right there. Sometimes, if we move on too quickly, we miss an important detail. And there's one in here. The king has promoted an Agagite. Now, most likely, Haman is a descendant of King Agag. Why might that little nugget be important? Take a look at this scene from a few hundred years earlier. 1 Samuel 15, verse 7 and 8 says, And Saul smote the Amalekites from Havilah unto uh, Sir that is over against Egypt, and he took Agag the king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. Okay, so back in the day, Haman's ancestors were attacked and slaughtered by a Hebrew king named Saul. Could it be the family never forgot this? And perhaps this man Haman now is a serious vendetta in his heart against the Jews. Well, sometimes when there's anger and rage for no apparent reason, it may have to do with bitterness in someone's heart and not the actual situation at hand. This also is something to be aware of as we traverse the twisty dark trails in the media. Watch out for anger. Watch out for rage in news reports. I mean, where's it coming from and why? It's so important that we learn to discern Ask God what's below the surface whenever you run across outrage and contempt. Well, let's continue. Verses two through three say, All the king's servants that were in the king's gate bowed and reverenced Haman, for the king had so commanded concerning him. But Mordecai bowed not, nor did him reverence. Then the king's servants, which were in the king's gate, said unto Mordecai, 
why transgressest thou the king's commandment? Okay, so Mordecai is commanded, along with all of the king's men, to bow before Haman. A simple bow, a simple show of respect. Why not just bow? But Mordecai refuses to bow. The other servants are shocked. They're amazed that any living human would dare defy the king's order. Dude, why aren't you bowing? What is wrong with you? Just do it. But Mordecai will not. The other guys at the gate ask why he won't bow, but Mordecai does not respond. So we can only assume that Mordecai lives by a higher call and serves another master. He cannot bow to a living man. He can only bow to a living God. While everyone around him is not at the edge of their seat, they are waiting to see what will happen to this man who won't buy, who won't bow, and they know it cannot be pretty. Can you not see this transpiring in our midst right now? We are asked to bow all the time lately. This pandemic has created a condition ripe for tyranny. In fact, my governor just decreed that only two households may gather for Thanksgiving. Should we comply? Mordecai's example shows us there is a place for civil disobedience. But when do we know to utilize that? We're told wear masks, stay at home, close down your churches, don't go to the beach. So do we bow? Do we stand? Do we fight? Do we comply? Man, it gets tricky. It seems with each constitutional right we hand over, another step towards slavery comes along. So what you have to do is decide what does the Bible clearly say we should do and not bow when someone wants you to go against that. And there's other times we might have a difference of opinion. We might not enjoy the rules, but we still have to bow. Well, in this particular situation, Mordecai has chosen to stand and not bow. He's not obnoxious. He's not angry. He simply stands as those around him gasp and wonder at his bravery. And when we stand, especially in the face of a mob, a mob of people who seem to represent the majority, (laughs) the people around us are amazed and they wonder, why aren't you bowing? Why don't you follow the crowds? Just yesterday, a press conference was held where the president's lawyers demonstrated that there was compelling evidence showing the election was filled with enough fraud that it very possibly changed the result. A number of media outlets actually shut off their cameras or scrubbed their sights of this press conference. It seems someone wants people to bow to their viewpoint and not consider a different one. Well, you may or may not believe election fraud is going on. The scenes are cleverly edited from many news shows. But remember, we talked about Proverbs twenty four twelve in our last episode. If thou sayest, behold, we knew it not. Doth not he that pondereth the heart consider it? It is tempting to avoid seeing a viewpoint we do not like or want to consider. Um, it would be <laughs> nice just to join the fray. Swim in the same direction as everyone else. And that sounds safe and it sounds convenient. But we are responsible to seek truth and pursue it. There are hard truths out there, but sometimes we have to look at it. In these polarizing times, be sure to consider all the sides. Will you bow to lies or stand for the truth? 
Will you believe God's word or bow to latest social propaganda? Okay, well, does Mordecai gain by standing? Let's take a look at that in verses four through six. Now it came to pass when they spake daily unto him, and he hearkened not unto them, that they told Haman to see whether Mordecai's matters would stand, for he had told them that he was a Jew. And when Haman saw that Mordecai bowed not, nor did him reverence, then was Haman full of wrath, and he thought scorn to lay hands on Mordecai alone, for they had showed him the people of Mordecai. Wherefore Haman sought to destroy all the Jews that were throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus, even the people of Mordecai. Alrighty, so this man, this guy Haman, is mad enough to not just slay Mordecai, but all of Mordecai's people. Because clearly Mordecai is doing this for religious reasons. So how dare Mordecai not bow? Haman is one of the king's main guys. He is an elitist. And he's thinking a mere peon in the kingdom, a foreigner no less, is attempting to defy him. And you know what? There's a lot of times political polarization lands us there. Lines are drawn, sides are chosen, and it is really hard sometimes to see beyond what we believe. Yesterday, my son was lamenting that there were people who were dumping a bunch of facts on him, but they didn't take time to listen to his viewpoint. There was no attempt to understand him. And while I mostly agree with the ones who are doing the fact dumping on my son, I really can't agree when we use our opinions and those facts and try to get someone to bow to our own opinion. How will we ever win over a soul if we don't take time to know them? So yes, there's a lot of anger and frustration, but when we have a chance one-on-one, it's important to choose to love and to listen. And by doing so, we're going to get an opportunity to share in an honest and a helpful way. All right, let's take a look at where all of Haman's anger and bitterness led. Verses 8 to the end of chapter 3, verse 15. And Haman said unto King Ahasuerus, There is a certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the people in all the provinces of thy kingdom, and their laws are diverse from all people. Neither keep they the king's laws. Therefore, it is not for the king's profit to suffer them. If it please the king, let it be written that they be destroyed, and I will pay 10,000 talents of silver to the hands of those that have the charge of the business to bring it to the king's treasuries. And the king took his ring from his hand, and he gave it unto Haman, the son of Hamadatha the Agagite, the Jew's enemy. And the king said unto Haman, The silver is given to thee, the people also, to do with them as it seemeth good to thee. Then were the king's scribes called on the thirteenth day of the first month to the governors there over every province and to the rulers of every people of every province, according to the writing thereof, and to every people after their language in the name of King Ahasuerus was it written and sealed with the king's ring. And the letters were sent by post into all the king's provinces to destroy, to kill, and to cause to perish all the Jews, both young and old, little children and women in one day, even upon the 13th day of the 12th month, and to take the spoil of them for a prey. 
the copy of the writing for a commandment to be given in every province was published unto all people, that they should be ready against that day. The post went out, being hastened by the king's commandment, and the decree was given in Sushan the palace, and the king and Haman sat down to drink. But the city Sushan was perplexed. So Mordecai would not bow. And now the gates of hell have broken loose. The king, the power of the government, all the finances of the kingdom are now set to come against the people of God. The king and Haman, they're clinking their goblets together in great victory. They've determined to murder a whole people group that dared to worship at an altar not authorized by the government. Meanwhile, the entire city is shocked and confused. Like, what just happened? Can you imagine being a Jew in this utterly hopeless and horrible situation? Where do you go? What do you do? Will you survive? All the military, all the governors, all the money is now aimed at destroying them. And remember, a king's edict in the time of the Medes and Persians could not be revoked. This is an utterly impossible situation. It reminds me of a situation going on right now in Michigan, where there's a few brave electors, and they rescinded their vote to certify ballots. They were threatened. They were told lies, but they did not bow. Nonetheless, um, the political powers that be are moving forward to grant a presidential candidate a win, even though people are shocked and there's confusion. And a lot of people, and I'm kind of one of them, are worried that without election integrity, we are watching a national demise. When all seems hopeless and impossible, we can look at Esther. The book of Esther shows us that God was already there long before the impossible came along. He knew, and he was way ahead of it. He called a praying man to walk around the capital. He moved a woman into the king's circle of influencers. God was directing a great escape for the Jews, even though no one, none of the Jews in in the city of Sushan and beyond had any idea. And isn't that what's happening today? There's a lot of Mordecai's in the king's gate. One of them, a prayer giant named Dutch Sheets, was led by God through a series of dreams prior to the election to pray over key states and visited Pennsylvania particularly, which has become kind of the keystone state, right? It's the key to the election. And then there's a woman named Amy Coney Barrett who was placed in the judicial system just before the election, and she could possibly swing the court's decision if it goes there. And it most certainly will. And you know what? We also have what the Jews in Sushan had, the exceedingly great promises of God. In Psalm 91, verses 7 and 8, he said, A thousand shall fall at thy side, and ten thousand at thy right hand, but it shall not come nigh thee. Only with thine eyes shalt thou behold and see the reward of the wicked. Psalm 41, 2. Thou wilt not deliver him unto the will of his enemies. Well, the Jews, just like us, had a whole archive history with stories of God's miraculous deliverance. And like us, when all the world has set itself against us, it can have no power. 
except and unless our God will give it to them. God has already gone before the impossible situation you're in, and no one can steal out of God's hand what he desires to keep. And we are always in his safekeeping. I'm going to talk more on that next time. Today, let's end with a prayer. Lord, thank you for what you're doing. Thank you that you are ahead of us. You were there in our future before the impossible situation came along. You have things set up because you knew and you know now. Lord, I thank you for that. And I ask you'll help us to discern and to trust even when we're terrified of what lies ahead. Alrighty, it was great spending this time with you, and I look forward to more time with you. You can see the show notes for some ways to connect with me, and let me know what you thought of this podcast. Um, And I'd be happy to pray for and with you as well. Enjoy your day. We'll see you next week.